When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul standing by, taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 0818 103 103. Text WhatsApps 0862 103 103. And I'm very mindful and thoughtful of the fact that in under an hour, the funeral of murdered primary school teacher Ashleen Murphy will be held in the village of Mount Bolas in County Offaly. It's taking place 11 o'clock St. Bridget's Church, which we're told is close to her home at Cully Bluebell in uh, County Offaly. And uh, the family have asked for family flowers only at uh, the funeral. And I know the funeral is, is going to be streamed online. And I've heard there's also plans that audio is going to be played outside the church because it's anticipated there will be huge, huge crowds at the uh, funeral uh, today. And and I'm also, I was thinking about today saying, you know, of course we're going to talk and mention Ashley, particularly the fact that the funeral is on and thinking of her family, her parents, her sister, her brother, her her boyfriend and the, you know, the children in the school are forming a guard of honour and her friends and just this huge outpouring of grief that has been going on in this country since her death uh, last Wednesday. And then I'm thinking of some of the comments that I received in yesterday, particularly some really hateful and nasty comments that came in on on WhatsApp and on text message yesterday. Uh, To do with us talking about Ashley Murphy and to do with us talking about gender-based violence. And I was thinking last night, because some of the comments yesterday, the the way our radio station works, it's only myself and John Paul here working on the programme. And obviously John Paul is taking the calls and is lining up people that are going to come on air for interviews, etc. So I I am the one that monitors the text messages and the WhatsApps. We we don't work in an organisation that there's loads of people in the background that are filtering the text messages and the WhatsApps and in other radio stations where they have lots of people working on programmes, I would only be getting the ones that I would need to read out on the programme. That's what happens at larger radio stations. So I've got to read down through the text messages, through the comments to decide which ones are relevant, which ones are we going to uh, run with. And sometimes you know, if it's, and we do, I always promise that, that if your text doesn't necessarily get to air, we do promise that they have all been read, but we've got a limited amount of time in which we can call out certain texts. And obviously the 
very, very nasty ones. You haven't a hope in hell of me reading out some of the hateful ones that came in. And it struck me, I was thinking about some of them last night when I was at home. And if the attention on Ashley's murder is making and it was men in the main with the very hurtful and hateful comments yesterday. If it's making you feel that uncomfortable, maybe as a man, you need to question why rather than having a go at people who are attending vigils or, you know, people, the, some of them are having a go at people calling out gender-based violence and talking about all the great men that are out there. And we accept that there are many great men out there. And, you know, we people yesterday saying, this is all man bashing. When are you going to stop the man uh, bashing? And why didn't, why didn't the country react when a man was uh, murdered? And listen... All murders are tragic. All murders are uh, sad. But the mur- you're really missing the point, though, if you're saying that the country should have had an outpouring when a man was murdered as opposed to when this young woman was murdered. Ashleen's murder has highlighted how unsafe this country, and we can go wider, how unsafe this world is for all women. We as women don't feel safe when we go out and about and alone because we never know if we're going to meet a man with evil intent. So we need all of the good men and there are so many good men out there. We need all the good men to stand up and say, look, enough is enough. Call out sexist and dis." disrespectful banter and don't ash it's just boys will be boys we need to put an end to violence against women and I just I don't know what it is but I think it seemed to be yesterday uh, and I saw it on social media over the weekend as well so it wasn't just to this programme just talking about Ashleen and talking about the murder and calling out gender based violence for whatever reason is leading some men to be very uncomfortable and you're wondering are they the ones with these you know misogynistic views and by the way somebody yesterday when I when I said misogyny was saying well what, what does that word mean well it means it's a dislike of or it's a contempt for or an ingrained prejudice against women and that's really what some of the comments were uh, yesterday it was a you know it was the fact that it was women standing up and saying you know I don't feel safe I always have to think of the routes that I take when I go home. I always have to wonder, will I be able to go there on my own? And this thing of victim blaming, saying to girl, young young girls, make sure you have somebody with you. They should be allowed. We should all be allowed to go out and leave our front doors and go for a walk and go for a jog and to feel safe. Men can do that. Why can't women do it? So if you're, if you're thinking, if you have any nasty thoughts for today, can you just keep them to yourself and just, we don't want to hear about them and they're certainly not going to be aired on this programme. Uh, anyway, my rant over. And just back to um, Ashley's funeral today. And I don't know how many of the schools have picked up on this or not. And I did mention this because this broke yesterday while we were on air that all of the main education and teaching union unions came together and they've called for a minute silence across schools and colleges before the funeral at 11 o'clock today to honour Ashley's uh, memory. And in a statement from all of the unions, I mean, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, uh, obviously they are to the forefront of it, but the AST are in there, the Teachers Union, FORSA. They issued a joint statement and said we are encouraging schools 
to fall silent in memory of a beloved primary school teacher taken far too soon and to show our solidarity with her family, her friends, her colleagues and her pupils as Ashley is laid to rest. As I say, I don't know how many schools have actually picked up on that, but that uh, is due to happen at 11 o'clock uh, today. And then, uh, you know, what everybody wants is for whoever did this dreadful, dreadful murder to be brought to justice. And it seems the Gardaí are building a profile of the suspect in Ashlyn's uh, murder. And they've yesterday again appealing for information on a man in a black tracksuit. Now, detectives, they're still waiting at the opportunity to question this man that they reckon is their chief sus- suspect in the murder investigation. This man is in hospital in Dublin. He's been treated for what are apparently self-inflicted injuries and other and other wounds. Specialist officers, they've prepared an interview strategy, but they have to wait until the man is deemed medically fit to be spoken to by the Gardaí. You know, obviously the investigation is continuing uh, in in Tullamore and three separate crime scenes have actually been sealed off at this uh, stage. Senior sources within the Gardaí are saying it's possible, they're hopeful that the suspect will be arrested today. And, and detectives in the meantime are attempting to gather a profile of this man who they're already saying he's in his 30s, he's a father, he's got a number of children and apart from detailed interactions with people well known to the man, the Gardaí are also involved in making inquiries to international police uh, agencies and obviously that's done to determine if this man could have any had any kind of a criminal record in any other country where he uh, lived uh, before. And yesterday afternoon, you probably saw this on the news, the Gardaí removed a bottle bank from a car park. Now it's about a kilometre away from the murder scene but that area was sealed off uh, yesterday and the entire bottle bank has been taken away for forensic examination. The theory being that any items or item that could be of interest to the investigation team could be contained in the bottle bank and actually that car park is covered by CCTV cameras so there's obviously a reason why they're picking on that particular bottle bank and one thing that the Guardian pains as well to point out is any photos of a man purported to be the chief suspect. They are continuing to be shared on social media yesterday and the Gardaí are appealing to the public. They're saying please, please stop sharing those photographs. Not only are people being misinformed, they're saying they're inaccurate and it's also dangerous. But what's most important uh, is some of the ones that are, are shared, if it is, if it does turn out to be the suspect and if that suspect does turn out to be the man uh, responsible, it could be really unhelpful to the criminal investigation. So please, if you have been sent on any of those photographs, and I saw a number of them uh, yesterday, please just don't pass them on. That's the best thing that you can do. And by the way, when I was mentioning uh, Ashley's funeral that is uh, taking place, a topic we are going to be uh, addressing on the programme uh, this morning is a call for the boardwalk in Mallow which I'm told somebody walked over it last night and said that it is uh, open somebody else was on to say that it's opening uh, today so the boardwalk is up and, up and running for people to walk up and running up and walking uh, to walk across uh, in Mallow 
It's taken long enough. God knows people in Mallow will very much uh, welcome it, I'm sure. But there's a call from a young teacher that we're going to be talking about uh, in a little while on the programme. Uh, and he reckons the fact that the boardwalk has opened and it looks like now a fish opening today on the day that Ashley Murphy uh, is being buried that the boardwalk should be named after Ashleen uh, Murphy. And I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Emer uh, says it would be good to see the boardwalk named after Ashley Murphy or perhaps another local victim of uh, femicide. Equality needs to be woven into every aspect of our uh, culture. Sorry, the screen is after jumping on me there. Um, equality needs in every aspect of... Uh, equality needs to be woven into every aspect of our culture, including greater equality of representation in the naming of public spaces. This week, our nation has taken to public spaces to express our collective grief and stand in solidarity with the family and friends of Ashley Murphy and express our contempt for all acts, all acts of gender-based violence. Naming this and other public spaces after victims of these heinous crimes would serve as a perpetual memorial to the person and a reminder to all of us to work together towards eliminating all forms of gender-based violence. Well said, uh, Emer. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, while Paddy says, while it was a real tragedy, what has happened to young Ashleen? Paddy says, if we're going to talk uh, publicly talk about the naming of the boardwalk, what about the victims of COVID or other historical figures from Cork's past? Uh, Paddy says, if this boardwalk was opening in Offaly, Offaly absolutely yes, he would be in favour of it being named after Ashleen Murphy. But this is uh, Cork, so he would, on those grounds he would be against it. Your thoughts welcomed on that. And as I say, we will discuss it in more detail on the programme this morning. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The shocking murder of Ashleen Murphy has put a lot of focus on the need for people to stand up and call out sexist attitudes and remarks. So how easy or difficult is it to do that? Well, Professor Louise Crowley is of the School of Law at UCC and she joins me to discuss the college's Bystander Intervention Programme, of which she is the director. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Bit of background here. How long have you been running this Bystander Intervention Programme and when and why was it first set up? So we introduced the first year of delivery in 2016, Patricia, and I developed it as a response to my sense as a, a lecturer within the School of Law and UCC of the reluctance of male students to come forward and talk about issues that were challenging them. So that was an experience that I had in, in sort of mentoring students as their lecturer, but that coexisted with my own academic research in relation to domestic and intimate partner abuse. And I suppose the two worlds collided, recognising the absence of a platform for young people, and in particularly men, to talk about their lived experiences in the context of sexual harassment and violence, I'm also recognising my role and the role of the university as educators to provide them with the necessary education and skills to be proactive in this area. So can you outline how the programme works? Sure. So in the first two years when we piloted it, we delivered it in person and it was incredibly uh, successful in terms of its impact and the student experience. But we realised that to reach the whole of the community, the whole of the campus community, we needed to make it and more available. So we transitioned it to the online platform in 2019. So now it's available to all 22,000 students and 2,000 staff online. 
and it involves taking four modules in a self-directed individual way online. It takes about two hours and following from that, students then who completed that training participate in a one-hour workshop where they meet with peers who have also taken the training, reflect on the learning, and we work through scenarios which are based on real-life experiences giving them the opportunity to identify what's troublesome about the behaviour and then how they might choose to respond as a bystander. And have many students and staff participated and have you seen an increase as a, in the wake of Ashley's murder? Yeah, so um, it's voluntary in UCC. And, and all first-year students coming in have orientation training which incorporates compulsory bystander intervention training in an introductory way. And then it is for any staff or student member to sign up. So to date, we've reached about 2,000 students. Um, yeah, and maybe about 50 staff. We started promoting it to staff in the last year. Um, uh, but what's very interesting is with the numbers that have signed up since last Wednesday are unprecedented. Wow. And also the numbers of men signing up is, it's, how can I say, it's heartwarming, it's reassuring. It's a palpable evidence of the desire for men to access a tool, access information to allow them to become part of the proactive response to the horrific events last week. And Kim, are people nervous about calling out unacceptable behaviour? So our research from dealing with our students who complete questionnaires before they start the training and then when they finished it, certainly before they start the training, there is not only a reluctance to make an intervention, but there is a real openness about the inability to do so. People just don't know how to do it. And also there's a sense that it would always be confrontational. People associate the idea of making an intervention in the context of sexual harassment and violence as being confrontational, taking somebody on, you know, and thinking about aggression and things like that. But in the course of the training, what participants learn is that actually most interventions are not confrontational and can very often happen before a serious incident occurs. So an awful lot of it is about awareness, recognising red flags, seeing where troublesome behaviour might be coming and knowing to distract somebody, remove somebody from a situation, or if indeed it's your friend who is causing the trouble, to take them aside and remove them and perhaps ideally have a conversation with them about what's troublesome. So when people think about interventions, you know, people quite understandably are concerned. They don't think they can do it. But, I mean, one of the key things about the training that we do is giving people the understanding of the breadth of the scope of interventions and the the range of timings when they can occur. Um, And that is very valuable. And people realize and they exercise those tools because we work with students in focus groups and we hear about the types of interventions they do, in fact, make following the training. Yeah, because by being a stand, uh, a bystander and accepting any kind of, of abusive behaviour, are the dangers are, I'm assuming, we're, we're normalising it? Well, we're normalising it and we're certainly giving the perpetrator the sense that it's acceptable, that false consensus that nobody is objecting to this behaviour. And I mean, it's entirely understandable that people would be reluctant that they would have intervention inhibition um, not only because of the fear factor, but also that sense of why should I? It's nothing to do with me. So another key part of us developing as a society to respond appropriately and as necessary is to cultivate that sense of personal responsibility for a better society for everybody. So if we don't intervene, the behaviour looks normalised. 
and then it becomes harder to see it as problematic, which is another issue. Because if it becomes normalised, we're slower to see it as troublesome, and then we'll never make an intervention. And that normalisation then underpins people's experiences on a day-to-day basis. And that's, the, that's what's been happening for a long time for women and girls. And that attitude, Louise, ah, sure, boys will be boys and it's only a bit of male banter as a way of excusing away some of uh, the uh, that unacceptable behaviour. What what do you say to that? Well, can I just firstly say that, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous for people to say that's just a bit of male banter because if they stood for two minutes in the shoes of the women who were being talked about or who were being leered at or who were receiving the comments or the, the physical harassment or abuse, they would realise very quickly that it's not banter. Um, and I think there is a growing realisation, palpable, that men are realising what it is like to be a woman or a girl in Irish or broader society. And, and so I think that I'm, I'm hoping that there is a movement towards rejecting that pathetic excuse for behaviour. Um, but that I think to challenge it, it has to come from those within that peer group where that those comments or that behaviour is happening. Uh, it's not enough for women to be disgusted and to and to express their you know their disgust at this behaviour. In the moment that that's happening, it has to be rejected. It is not banter. It is offensive and it is danger dangerous and it leads to the escalation of further behaviour because of that sense of permission. Okay, one of our listeners says, uh, "Well done to your." Uh Speaker, our speaker is as Professor Louise Crowley on this particular programme. Any chance that uh, she would run programmes like this at secondary school level? We, we desperately need it at secondary school level. We do desperately need it. And I know that because I meet first years in university every year who come to me with trauma, who having taken the training, realising it wasn't their fault, that they were in fact raped or sexually assaulted. And so that knowledge and that opportunity to have those conversations at second level is so crucially important because we are meeting students where behaviour is already ingrained, it's already perceived to be acceptable. Now, I suppose the good news is that I have worked with second level schools in Cork City and County already and just this week I have received funding from the Irish Research Council to launch a new pilot with second level schools and Davis College in Mallow, I should mention, has been working with us from the very beginning um, in 2019 and has delivered some of this training and will be part of our new pilot. But since Wednesday's horrific incident, I have received requests from all over the country from second level schools to be involved. And I welcome people to contact me at the law school um, to see how many schools we can get involved in this pilot, which we hope to roll out after Easter to TY students, a six 40 minute workshops on the key messages to be learned from bystander training to educate the students, to give them a safe environment, to have these conversations with each other facilitated by a teacher and to develop the skills to respond. And I think, if I may, most importantly, to do it collectively as a class and as a school. Because if everybody in that class gets to understand the importance of being a pro-social bystander, to recognise unacceptable behaviour and call it out, it makes it much easier for people at that young, vulnerable age to speak up and object because those around them in their classroom or in their sports club will recognise what they're doing and the value of what they're doing and they will come together as a community and, I suppose, start a new normal, demand more respect 
and, and a better life for them and their friends. Well said, well said. And I was speaking yesterday with Mary Crilly of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, who's been working in this field of yeah. violence against women for, it's going to be 40 years now, uh, next year. And she said for the first time in the 40 years, she has a sense of hope that there yeah. seems to be a bit of a shift. Yeah, Mary's wonderful and does incredible work. I would echo that. I sense there is an appetite for change, that this is more than horror and disgust. There's a new part of the conversation, which is, OK, what can we do? And individuals and groups saying, we want action. What can you help us make change? I have received communications from industry, from private industry, from state agencies, from schools, from sports clubs, GA, rugby, soccer. Everybody wants the opportunity to learn to be better and to allow their employees or their players or their students to be better. So I'm really hoping we, this momentum can gather and continue, that the conversations don't stop, but actually that we ensure that we facilitate them to continue and to be really worthwhile. Well done. Well done. OK, listen, uh, Louise, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Professor Louise Crowley. She's with the School of Law at UCC, but she's also Director of the Bystander Intervention Programme. And uh, Margaret says, Hi, Patricia. Could you please tell me the name of the church where Ashley's Mass has been streamed from uh, this morning? And thank you for showing real respect for that fabulous uh, young lady. Thank you, Margaret, um, for uh, that uh, for those kind words. Uh, and she says, RIP to uh, Ashley. It is St. Bridget's Church in Mount Bolas. Mount Bolus is M-O-U-N-T-B-O-L-U-S Mount Bolus in uh, County Offaly but it's St. Bridget's uh, Church 0862103103 Court Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie With the opening of the Mallow Boardwalk this week a young teacher who's currently subbing at the British Academy in Mallow is calling for the boardwalk to be named after murdered teacher Ashleen Murphy and Owen Kenny uh, joins me Good morning to you Owen Good morning Patricia And you're well Welcome to the programme. You put your suggestion up on uh, your Facebook page. What reaction did you get? Yeah, uh, like uh, the reaction was very good. Um, you know, um, a lot of people, I suppose, um, were, were giving their own opinion on whether they agreed or not agreed. And I suppose that's really what I want is, um, you know, the, village, the vigil on Friday night in, in Mallow, the, the turnout for it was absolutely extraordinary. And I think, you know, Ashling's passing has has hit, really hit a chord with every individual and family right throughout the country. And, you know, I, I just thought maybe it, at, at the time of, a, of of the opening of the boardwalk, maybe it might be um, quite circumspect, I suppose, in naming the boardwalk after Ashling and highlighting the issue of, of gender-based violence. And I suppose um, in putting up the post on Facebook, I, I knew <laughs> straight away, like, everyone wasn't going to agree. You're, you're never going to have a perfect post, like, that everyone is going to agree with. But, like... The majority of people did agree, and if they didn't agree, the majority of people, um, I suppose, were were in agreement that you know it should be a public opinion that that should be naming it um, more so than being named, um, you know, by elected councillors or uh, whatever it may be. But my my suggestion of Ashling Murphy or the Ashling Murphy Boardwalk um, got got great response and you know the people who commented and agree with um, I want to thank them and, and even thank the people who who didn't agree and suggested other um, 
very appropriate names as well, you know. Yeah, because I've spotted, since we've mentioned that we were going to be talking to you uh, about it, and you know, I'm very conscious that today as well, it's the timing of it all as well. The opening of the boardwalk on you know on the day that Ashleen is to be laid to rest. But a couple of people are suggesting Karen Buckley. Yeah, from like, Mornabi. Uh, now, I mean, Karen was 2015. Would you? Would, yeah, like, would you remember that? I, I was only 15 then. Like, yeah. and I, I, I even mentioned that in one of the comments that like at 15 like I didn't understand the issue of gender based violence I suppose as you as you grow up to years like in 21, 22 you know you're into college and stuff like that and um, even your last speaker there was, was talking about how they're, how they're dealing with a new CC and doing third level um, so like I think as you go up to years you, you understand the issue more so um, and Karen's passing um, and uh, you know Karen's passing in Glasgow hit a chord with everybody in Mallow even and surrounding areas in Mornabby and stuff at the time and I think naming the boardwalk even after Karen as well um, would be a beautiful gesture. Like, and I, I can only imagine her family and her friends um, in Mornabbey and, and in Mallow. Um, like, she attended St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow, so that that would highlight the issue as well. Um, that we are tr- that I'm of, trying to of focus gender-based well, you know? violence, and just for for people outside the area, I mean, I, I'm very conscious that uh, just to remind people, um, young Karen was a 24 year old who uh, was in Glasgow, went on a night out with her friends, and uh, unfortunately was uh, murdered. Yeah, so like like that 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 would that naming the boardwalk after Karen even would highlight the same issue that unfortunately happened to Ashling as well last Wednesday. Um, so like. Uh, uh, like it's not up to me either to decide, and uh, like that—that uh, that is, uh, I suppose I've made people aware like that. I, I don't want to be the one deciding either. That it—I—I I do feel I firmly believe like that it should be a public consultation process. Like even from my post on Facebook, there have been a number of suggestions. Like Karen, um, there have a number of suggestions of people who've gone down the line, who've gone before us, you know, and would be very appropriate suggestions. And that's where. I feel the public consultation needs to be now made available by Cork County Council. Like, if, if you go back and, and you look at boardwalks or footbridges or cycle bridges that were opened uh, over the years, um, like, you look at the Mary Ellums boardwalk or bridge in, in Cork, um, that was uh, named after public consultation. The Rosie Hackett Bridge in Dublin City was named uh, after public consultation. I don't really understand why the same mechanism cannot be set up for Mallow, where people... The Mallow people and the Mallow people in surrounding areas who are going to be crossing the bridge day in and day out have their opinion heard and are allowed to share their thoughts and their opinions on what the bridge should be named or the boardwalk should be named. You know, it's an amenity that will stand in Mallow for generations to come. There will be people crossing it day in, day out, night time, day time. Um, and the naming of it, I think, is actually very, very important. And to give the people the option of... Uh, giving giving their opinion and giving that uh, public consultation process would definitely allow people, you know. Would share you go, their would opinion. you go so far as to have a plebiscite, have a vote on it? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, like okay. uh, that's that's definitely what I would like. Even like I was I was actually doing some research on it. Like the Mary Ellum's uh, footbridge in in Cork that goes over the River Lee. That 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 was a public consultation process. I remember as well. Start, I remember well. Started, there was lots of suggestions conduct, came in for conduct, the name of it. Conducted by Cork City Council, lots of suggestions came in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the councillors did decide uh, on what the name was. But at least there was buy-in from the the public, and the public got the opportunity to actually give forward names that they would believe. Because even over the last couple of days, the post on Facebook, my post on Facebook, has received a number of comments about you know people very very appropriate suggestions like that you know people should be allowed share like i don't understand how 
a, an amenity that the public are going to be using can be named by uh, councillors, five male county councillors. Um, you know, and that it was the Canturk Mallow Municipal uh, District. Even though I thought that when it was decided at uh, a Canturk Mallow Municipal District meeting back in, I think it was 2018, mm. I thought at that stage that it would go to a public meeting. Yeah, it would like, be outlined at a public I, meeting. That was actually only a draft proposal at the time. I think since then, I presume it has passed uh, through the Canturk Municipal District. Um, but like. You know, people aren't aware of what it's been called, and like I don't understand why Mallow can't be given the same mechanism as the likes of Cork City or Dublin City in naming the boardwalk or naming the footbridge that will be in their town. Like, where are the people who are going to be crossing it every day of the week? We are the people who, I suppose, you know, <laughs> who are, who are going to be using it. So why wouldn't we be the people to name it, just like the people in Cork City or Dublin City? And I thought at the time, maybe you know, following the vigil on Friday night, Ashling Murphy's name. Um, you know, was, was an appropriate fit. But, like, it's not up to me either to name it. I was just giving a suggestion. There has been a number of suggestions on Facebook over the last couple of days by uh, people, as I said, very appropriate suggestions that would fit perfectly. And that's why I feel that a public consultation process now needs to be done by Cork County Council. And, I, I, I you know, I can't understand how councillors, the, the, the five county councillors, are not coming on board with this. Um, you know, hopefully they will. I've written. Have you have you written to the council? Yeah. So, uh, like yesterday, I sent an email um, to uh, the executive officer in Cork County Council, just to ask them, I suppose, to give my opinion first and foremost to share what uh, I suppose what happened on Facebook and the, uh, the I suppose the outpouring of um, the need for public consultation and asking for the naming of the boardwalk to be paused uh, and for hopefully um, a significant. Um, you know, I suppose hopefully that it, they would give the public their their option, you know, um, whether it's an online system that they would use. Um, I think that's what they use for the Mary Ellen's board bridge in, in Cork, that um, they would give people the option to go online give their opinion on what they would like the boardwalk to be named. Okay. And, and I, can see, I can see a lot of people are agreeing, agreeing with you, particularly on the gender based violence yeah, and the fact that we're all talking about it but I can see if there was a vote today and we were going down that route for the name of the boardwalk Karen Buckley's name keeps yeah, coming up I, I mean I, I, I like summed it up Eleanor said it'd be far more appropriate to name it after Karen Buck, Buckley she was a young local woman who lost her life in very similar tragic and violent um, attack uh, away from her family and her home we should yeah, never like forget Karen, our, Karen, our own Karen's passing and naming the boardwalk after Karen would highlight the exact same issue that we need we, we of are gender based to highlight, highlight and here. can I just say we are very much thinking of Karen's family it's a smooth yeah, a murder like you know, this must like be I so difficult it must so be difficult, so difficult and it must be bringing back some you know some awful memories, memories and dreadful, dreadful memories you know? dreadful. Um, and just listen Owen but the, the la- I spoke with you back in uh, 2019 yeah. you were yeah, leaving this, this search- is my first time <laughs> yeah you were you were leaving search students just remind listeners why you at the time we spoke to you because you'd written to the Minister for Education yeah, like in 2019, actually, I was only talking to JP about it yesterday. Um, I had written to the Minister of Education seeking um, some sort of um, construction date for the Patrician Academy Secondary School. I was a student at the school for, for six years, and um, in my fourth year of the school, the school obviously burnt down, as, as everyone is aware. Um, and still to this day, unfortunately, there is no school building um available for students and staff up in the academy and you know since since then I, I i've gone on and i'm in my third year now of, of teacher secondary school teacher training and you know since the covid pandemic hit I, I i've been subbing in in the patrician academy and you know i suppose 
off topic, I suppose, the lack of facilities um, that students and staff have to face every day is, is absolutely um, heartbreaking, really. Um, I, I spent four great years in there, and my last two years I spent in Porta Cabins that are, I suppose... That are still in use today? Still in use today. And at the, at the time, what, what did you... Did the, the Minister of Education... There was Joe McHugh, wasn't it? Joe McHugh yeah. was the Minister did of Education. He, did he write back to you? Yeah, so, like, unfortunately, the Patrician Academy have, have received the same generic response from the Department of Education over, over the last five or six years now. Uh, in relation to the building that it's going to be designed, uh, given under the design and build programme, that is going out to tender. But I suppose with the soaring cost of building cost, um, you know, it's it's only delaying it more so. But uh, like I I can't understand how the Department of Education isn't prioritising. Yes, and let's let it go on for for so long. Yeah, like, Camille, like, why, what is it like to be back teaching in a school where yeah. you once sat in the classroom as a pupil not that long ago? No, not that long ago. I suppose not bad. You know, the lads up there have. Are, are, are nice guys and wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be disrespectful in any way. And I suppose I suppose probably the biggest challenge was going into the staff room, <laughs> but because um, no. the teachers are there that would have taught you. And yeah, yeah. no, they're yeah. they're um, they're absolutely a, a pleasure to be with, and I, I I'm grateful to be uh, given some sort of training up there, and grateful to Elaine, the principal and stuff, you know, to, for giving me that opportunity. So hopefully, um, maybe down the line, I. I could end up there as a, as a secondary school teacher. You uh, how know. many more years have you to do? I just have a year, a year and a, and a bit now. So year and a bit. Are you back? Are you still subbing, or are you back in? Are you back in college now? No, I'm not back to college till next Monday. So I'm I'm still subbing away. Uh, are the Patrician Academy doing the minute silence? Do you know what I mean? They are. They are yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, now uh, the Patrician Academy lunch break time is at eleven o'clock. So they are doing it. I think uh, just about ten minutes beforehand. All right. Okay. Uh, but they are. It, it, it was it was muted yesterday that they will be uh, doing. Um, a minute silence in Ashling's memory, which I think is very appropriate and okay. a great call by the teaching unions uh, to do so. Okay, and I can see a number of people are saying, regardless of what the boardwalk is named after, uh, Dominic says 100% it should be a public vote. Helen yeah. Amado says, I agree yeah, with that, uh, Owen. It should be open to the public, like what they did with the bridges in this city. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, I can't understand how it isn't after being given to public consultation already. Um, you know why can't the same mechanism uh, like the Mary Ellums Boardwalk, the Rosie Hackett Bridge in Dublin? Why can't the same mechanism be made available for the people of Mallow, the people who are going to be crossing it day in and day out? Um, give them the the option of naming the boardwalk okay. and, and it's, whatever it may it's be. It's open at long last, which is the important it is, thing. Thank so. God. Yeah. All right. Listen, Owen, we leave it there. Listen, thank you Great. for that, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sure. Good thank morning you. to you. That is a young trainee teacher uh, Owen Kenny looking for the boardwalk in Mallet to at least go to the naming of it to go out to the public for their uh, suggestion. But his initial one was to name it after Ashleen Murphy. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, uh, some of your thoughts coming in on the boardwalk being named after Ashley. Hi, says a texter. It's a really nice suggestion that uh, Owen Kenny has made on your programme today about the boardwalk, but I think names should relate to an area. So I would assume something will be named after Ashley in her own county and in her own area. So I, like a lot of other listeners, has said to you this morning, I think uh, Karen Buckley who died in very tragic circumstances in 2015 will be a very popular choice because that certainly does relate to the area. A lot of people making that same point as well. And someone else says, I think the boardwalk should be named after a Cork person. Nothing against Ashleen and what has happened, but her hometown will no doubt do something in her honour. I think naming a walk after how she died would only bring back too many memories uh, for people that may actually put fear in people instead of them being able to enjoy 
enjoy the boardwalk and uh, to uh, walk walk on it and feel safe. May Ashleen rest in uh, peace. And then a couple of other suggestions coming in on the naming of the boardwalk. Somebody says the boardwalk should be called the Link Bridge. Why? Because it joins both sides of the town of Mallow. And then a kind of, I think, a tongue-in-cheek one from a listener saying it should be called after the Boer War. Uh, because the Boer War took so long, as did the opening of the boardwalk. OK, thank you for that. That's some of your texts into 0862103103. I'm going to go back to yesterday's programme for a moment. I We did an interview uh, yesterday with North Cork councillor Bernard Moynihan and he was talking about parts of North Cork where there is little or no mobile phone uh, signal and that led to people bringing in with their own thoughts and their own comments of mobile phones in their area and there were so many I didn't get to all of them so just a follow on just to some of them from yesterday. So hi Patricia I live in Castletown Roach. You have to nearly go up on the roof of the shed to get a mobile phone reception. It's an absolute joke in this day and age. And then Denise contacted us from West Cork because obviously Bernard Moynihan was was talking about what's happening in North Cork but this isn't, isn't just a North Cork issue. There are parts of West Cork that have huge problems particularly with broadband. Denise says on phone and broadband coverage. We live in a rural lo- location near Skibbereen. Our neighbours are at the top of the hill. They have perfect phone and broadband reception but we're downhill from them with a bunch of tall trees that are blocking the signal. On applying to the National Broadband of Ireland we have been told 2025 2026 will be the earliest we can expect to have broadband brought directly to our home. That is so frustrating, yeah. And whatever about being told, you'll have to wait a year. But And I don't know when you contacted them, Denise. I'm, I'm assuming it was a year or two ago. But to be told you have to wait until 2025, 2026 does seem uh, crazy. And then Michael by text says, Patricia, you're talking about phone issues. Oh, this is slightly different. Michael says, I have no... I've no coverage issues, but since last week, I've been locked out of my three online account. I've been on to three, three times. And on the third attempt, it seemed to be sorted by changing my email to a different one. But then I tried it yesterday. I'm locked out of it again. Could you put it out over the radio to see are there anybody else out there having similar issues? And that is from Michael. Now, I don't know where Michael was texting us from. There's anybody else having problems with the three online account getting locked out of it and then to have it sorted and then to be locked out again if anyone can tell us is is poor Michael on his own is it just isolated to his account 0862 103 103 and it is expected that Neffet will make a wide range of recommendations on the easing of restrictions they're due to meet tomorrow and I I am interested in hearing from listeners thoughts on this are we ready now for an easing of restrictions some of those that are set to include changes to the 8pm closing time for bars and restaurants along with there's talks of there being an increase in the number of people who will be allowed to attend both indoor and outdoor events. Now, early indications are suggesting that a new closing time for bars and restaurants and other cultural venues would be set at midnight. Now, 
as to when that's going to be introduced. They're looking at it's either or it is looking at the moment at being either the end of this month or at latest early in February. A further easing of restrictions would then take place at a later date when the requirement on premises would possibly be scaled back to those uh, checking COVID passes. Now more. Uh, most more people could also be allowed to attend weddings. They're expecting that's going to be spoken about tomorrow with a gradual return to the workplace that might also get underway at some point next month. Also suggestions that outdoor sports venues, that they could return to full capacity. Now, no decision has been made yet when the government would sign off on any planned uh, changes but some are believing that it, it could happen as early as Friday because what will happen is NEFIT will need to meet tomorrow they'll make their recommendations they then have to pass the recommendations on to the government the government then obviously will have to have a full uh, the leaders normally meet first and then a full cabinet meeting so it is possible that they could have that full meeting on Friday and then go with whatever the recommendations from uh, NEFIT and I was I heard earlier Dr Mary Favier now she's a cork GP and she is the COVID-19 advisor to the Irish College of uh, General Practitioners and she believes that the country should be able to move out of restrictions and she reckons it could be done reasonably uh, quickly. She said uh, a balance of restrictions will be needed going forward but she said changing them will be important because people need to get back to their lives and that's the one thing you will hear from people that we need to get on with living uh, as well. And she says from a GP perspective, easing restrictions uh, so that people can attend surgeries, she said that more, she says that's something that certainly would be welcomed and I know we have heard from a lot of our listeners and that's the one thing that with all of the restrictions that are in place many people bemoan the fact that you can't get in to see your doctor, it's usually done over a phone call, I know some are doing video consultations and you know we're absolutely necessary, people can get into GPs but people miss sitting down and actually going in and sitting with their GP. So she's saying that that's something that uh, could be done. She's also, from a GP practice point of view, saying that there is a significant difference in COVID cases over the last uh, two weeks. And she's now saying that there's, you know, the presentations of people with COVID has substantially reduced. She did say, though, that the restrictions that were imposed before Christmas, she did say that they were entirely appropriate because she said there, there wasn't a great understanding of the Omicron variant. However, there is now the realisation that uh, there is almost no restriction apart from an extraordinary lockdown that could have stopped the spread of it. Nobody was to know. There was early indications that it was highly contagious, but nobody was to know just how contagious uh, it was. But of course, the good news is that it doesn't seem to be, even though the numbers went very high and they certainly are coming back. I mean, yesterday, I think there was a little over, it was about 11,000 it came in at yesterday when you look at the numbers with PCR confirmed and the number with antigen tests but the good the one that everybody looks to is the numbers of people in, in hospital and that very much is stabilising particularly the number of people that are in ICU so it is looking like Neffert will make a wide range of recommendations on the easing of restrictions would you be in favour of that do we need to get on with living our lives would you like to see Neffert for example allow bars and restaurants and other cultural you know theatre cinemas to allow them to open on Till at least at midnight. Your thoughts are welcomed to 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. 
General Operative is required for a wholesale distribution company that's uh, based in Mallow CVs to Douglas at uh, acravat.ie. Construction worker is required for Bishopstown. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Full-time salesperson wanted for the Sound Store in Wilton. CV, you email to kevin at soundstore.ie. And a driver and collection crew wanted for Cork. Please apply to Country Clean on 086 382 1530 or email brian at ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now the wealth of Ireland's nine billionaires has increased by 58% since the start of the pandemic. That's according to Oxfam, who published their It's Inequality Kills report this week. And that's ahead of the World Economic Forum's virtual Davos uh, agenda, which is taking place this week. Joining me from Oxfam, their CEO, uh, Jim Clarkin. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, this isn't just here in Ireland. Isn't it the case that the 10 richest men in the world more than doubled their fortune? doubled their fortune in the last two years. They did. It's, it's hard to believe you, you're talking about going from 600 or something billion to $1.3 trillion owned by just 10 men. And it is all men. And, you know, the, the overall wealth of billionaires dramatically increased during this period. So we've seen a, a huge spike. And the reason that we're highlighting that is because it is having a big impact on global inequality. I mean, we've seen that during the pandemic, 99% of the world's population lost wealth and lost earnings. 160 million people have been driven into extreme poverty on top of the billions that are already in extreme poverty. And this inequality is killing, we estimate, 21,000 people a day through lack of access to healthcare, through hunger, through the impact of climate and so on. And the biggest impact, or one of the bigger impacts, is on women. Um, women have lost $800 billion in global earnings. So all these men are making these billionaires and making all this extra money. And women across the world have lost $800 billion. That's according to the ILO. And uh, we've seen that the, the gender pay gap uh, we've talked about often has, has kind of been stretched out for another generation. There are 20 million girls who left school during or when the schools were closed during the pandemic may not go back to school. Um, And we've seen a huge uh, increase in violence against women and girls during this period. So it's had a a very detrimental effect on so many people across the world, uh, whilst these billionaires are continuing to accumulate more and more wealth, which doesn't add economic value to the rest of the world. So, we, so they've, they've, I mean, really what you're calling out here is they've had a, a terrific pandemic. Terrific is, a, is the word. I mean, they've, they've sat on their money and they've made additional billions. And uh, it, it's not, uh, what well, the rest of the world is, in, is really struggling. And we see a huge percentage of the world that has not been vaccinated, partially because of the monopolies in the, in the uh, pharmaceutical industry are keeping billionaires wealthy. Some of those billionaires that we talk about are actually pharmaceutical billionaires. So, you know,
you know, there's a huge inequality here that needs to be addressed, but we can do something about it. So what we're calling for is a wealth tax for those billionaires and multimillionaires. And we know that even in Ireland, a very modest wealth tax could generate as much as €4 billion Euros for our exchequer, which could be used to pay for health care, could be used to work uh, to, re- to reduce the uh, homeless crisis that we have and improve the housing situation. And again, could be used to tackle violence against women and girls. Why do you believe governments always seem to be so slow about taxing the very rich and the very notion of a wealth tax? They always seem to shy away from it. Very good question. It's it's quite political and people are nervous of it. Um, And I don't know why they are. I mean, obviously, very wealthy people have oftentimes have tremendous political access and they can influence people who make decisions. Um, And they're somehow often perceived as being the ones that create all this great wealth for everybody. That's not not always the case. A lot of wealth is just wealth that's been passed on, wealth that has been generated through sitting on stocks and shares. It isn't necessarily productive wealth in that sense. So I I don't know why that is, but I I do think the zeitgeist is changing. I think there's an appetite now, and we're seeing it in lots of parts of the world. We're even seeing in the U.S. They're starting to put systems in place that could help to introduce a wealth tax later on. So I think the moment seems to be now. It's in particularly the fact that these people have done so well during this pandemic time when everybody else has suffered. It, It seems the right thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. And there are huge needs that can be addressed if a modest amount of tax is taken from these extraordinary and, and, and that's kind of, I think, the key as well to what you're saying. It's a modest amount of uh, tax. I mean, it's, you know, it's eye-watering some of the figures. I mean, you know, when you get into trillions, I, I have to stop and even think how many zeros, if I was writing down uh, <laughs> trillions, it's just, it's, it's really mind-boggling. And because these people are so wealthy, half of them wouldn't even notice if the government put on a wealth tax. Well, they'll never spend all their money. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't, I mean, we've done kind of crazy calculations that if they spent X millions every day for the rest of their lives, they could never even wipe out half of their wealth. So, you know, it's, it's not wealth that they can even use themselves. So what's the point in it? What's the point in a billionaire, even if you think about it, let alone the trillions and those crazy numbers? So, you know, we need to, you know, not, we're, we're all in favor of people being successful and businesses being successful and we the importance of what business can do to create wealth, to generate jobs and innovation and solve problems and so on. Uh, and that's vital. But the accumulation of the wealth at the very top just isn't logical. It's not sensible. It doesn't help society. And at the end of the day, a lot of these billionaires, you know, don't know what to do with it. Mm. In fact, we're, we're actually hearing certain, there are groups of very wealthy people now who are starting to challenge it themselves and say, look, actually, we do need to be taxed more. It does make more sense. At the end of the day, we rely on the society we live in. We rely on health care for our workers. We rely on roads and infrastructure and all the other things. Um, and without paying tax, those things can't happen. So they're starting to, to, to be part of this movement as well. But it seems that the time should be now. And I'm assuming if the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, that gap between the rich and the poor is obviously getting wider. And, and that's it. I mean, we had seen some progress in the reduction in extreme poverty. So those people living below the poverty line globally. But uh, across the world, that has changed over this period. And it's it's after years and years of hard work by so many people and so many communities that have been building themselves up, there's been a real pushback now because of the pandemic. Even in Ireland, uh, Social Justice Ireland, 
are saying that they're now 19% of the population living below the poverty line here, which is huge. So, and, and, and that is a big increase because of the pandemic. So, look, it's, it's not right that a small group of people are accumulating more and more wealth when everybody else is suffering. Uh, so we need to address that. Yeah, and as as you've mentioned, your report also highlights the inequality on vaccines. And, and our own Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation, I think he's been calling this out since the start of the vaccine rollout. Are we any closer to developing countries getting adequate vaccines? No, not remotely. Um, so there's less than 10% of people in many developing countries have been vaccinated. Uh, less than 10%. The, less than 10%, yeah. And at the rate we're going, it will be another two years, three years or even more before the world is vaccinated. So what we've been calling for, and we there's an alliance called the People's Vaccine Alliance here in Ireland, and globally the Oxfam has been involved in founding, and we have lots of medical professionals, and we have immunologists, and we have experts as part of that group. And we've been lobbying for uh, a, what we call a temporary waiver to the TRIPS, uh, that's a, that's an agreement within the World Trade Organization that would allow um, a waiver of intellectual property rights for a period so that the companies, and there are several of them around the world, that could produce vaccines can do so and they could they could scale up very quickly within about three months. I mean, we, there's a number of these, these um, factories in India ready ready to go. They just base, they need the recipe. They're exactly right. They're in India, they're in South Africa, they're in Brazil, they're in numerous places around the world. Um, just recently, the, the Shannon passed a bill supporting this. We're looking for the government to support this. They haven't done so yet. Ireland and the European Union are resisting this, even though the USA and a 100 other countries are supporting it. So that needs to change. We need to see this waiver. We need to see vaccines being produced at a much faster scale, being distributed to those countries, ensuring that everybody can be safe. We've talked about this all along. There's nobody safe until everybody's safe. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's not a stupidity. Variants will keep cropping up. I exactly. mean, Omicron came out of Africa. And, you know, that's not the Africans' fault. If they're not vaccinated, we're going to see more and more variants. So, you know, we're not all safe till we're all safe. We said this from the very start. On the, you know, there's an opportunity, a window to get everybody vaccinated as fast as possible. Uh, and that will reduced potential for for variants and certainly the impact of variants. Uh, look, we know ourselves that the, the latest variant has had, thankfully, a much less Im- much lesser impact than others. That's because we're all vaccinated in large. So, look, I think that's, that's the solution. We know that what needs to be done, but we need Ireland to support this waiver and we, the European Union, we need to move on this. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. It really is a no-brainer. It really is, yeah. All right, listen, uh, and your your own work at Oxfam, uh, Jim, I mean, I, I take it, been very difficult during the pandemic. It's been very difficult. I mean, there, there are additional challenges for people across the world on top of the challenges that were already there. Um, but people are resourceful and people will always try and find solutions. And look, we, the world has been set back by this, uh, but we, we, we're optimistic that, you know, if the public and if the powers that be can support the work that we're doing we can make a big difference and obviously that's led by communities on the ground across the world Okay, listen we leave it there and uh, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today Uh, Good morning to you, thank you, bye bye that is Jim Clarkham who is the CEO of uh, Oxfam and just shocking to think that anybody could have had a terrific pandemic but it looks like that the 10 richest men in the world doubled their fortune and our own Irish nine Irish billionaires 
58%. And what's that in figures? They increased their wealth by 18.3 billion to 49.7 billion since the start of the pandemic. I mean, I just, I can't understand. Like, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? I mean, how much money can you spend in your lifetime? When do you say, I have enough now and even I have so much, I can give some of it away? It just, it really does. It just frustrates the life out of me. A wealth tax, says a listener, no hope. There are too many millionaires within the doll. They won't vote for that. Hi, Patricia, you speak about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Well, Patricia, that's government policy. We live in a two-tier society. One law for the rich and one law for the poor. It's about how best to exploit the vulnerable and that's how money is made, uh, Patricia says a listener. And that's a sad reflection on society if that's the way we are living our lives. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, Gillian Powell has worked for many years as an early years educator and she's published a collection of books called Thrive, which gives suggestions for outdoor nature activities for children aged two to eight and their families. We've spoken to her before about her spring and summer books, but Gillian joins me uh, to chat about her latest, which are the autumn and winter ones, which are very relevant, I think, with the current weather that we're having at the moment. Uh, Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. Can I start firstly, because, you know, I'm very much aware of your experience working with young uh, children. The death of uh, Ashleen Murphy, who was a teacher in first class, so seven-year-olds who a lot of your books are, 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 are pitched yeah. at. What advice do you have for parents on how to talk to their children about such uh, a tragic death? Now, obviously, for children in Offaly, it would be very different to children that she taught in, in the classroom. But a lot of small children pick up on what's happening on the news and we'll hear, see stuff on, on the TV. How do you talk to your children around a tragedy like this? And may I add my condolences to um, all of the country, I think, on, uh, to Ashling's family and friends and particularly her primary teacher colleagues and the little children in her class. I think I was thinking about this all as everybody else is. I think it's very important to you know, maybe do a little ritual and to put it in a context of what's going to get us out of this, a sense of community and a sense of love. And I think every parent knows their own child best. And, you know, if they're anxious about um, uh, things like that, I think that's, uh, you know, people have to judge how to deal with that. But I think maybe if your child is particularly anxious, one good way is to get support, to reach out to another family if they're anxious about maybe going for walks in the countryside. I think that's that's um, a very good place to start, that we are a community of love. What's going to get us through this is a sense of community and a sense of love. And I think uh, just a simple little ritual to remember a lovely person who did a lot of good and um, then to move to the own, you know, the reality of, of your child's life and, you know, uh, that's different for every family. So I think that's a very good uh, good place to start. I was very conscious over the weekend. I went out for a walk uh, in the countryside and two tableaus stay in my mind. One was a, 
uh, dad and his son, and they obviously had a new puppy. It was in Glengariff. I went for a walk in the nature reserve, and the dad and the little boy were out taking the puppy for a walk, and I thought it was such a great image of what my books are all about, about the, the, the nature activities, but really underlying all of that is the sense of connection to one another and to the world. And I think that sense of community, if we're afraid and if we're anxious and upset, it's to reach out to other people who will support us in a positive way. And I think it's not appropriate probably to dwell very much on the tragedy of it with children of this age. I think instead it's to focus on the good things in life and the love and the care and community and the support we can give one another. Another tableau then was a mum and uh, uh, parents out with their family and they were walking hand in hand. And I think mm. that's the thing to bring out of this. And I think in, in all of life, for me, in the trials and tribulations, and I'm sure for you and a lot of your listeners, nature is a wonderful solace. And I think we have to conjure up a vision for the future. And that's why I did my books. You know, we're always hearing of the catastrophe and it's too late. The world is going to end. I think if you were to ask a 10-year-old now what their vision of the future for the planet is, they would probably, or ask them to paint a picture, they'd have a vision of Eddie Murphy dragging an alien across a a (laughs) desert. And that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is, and it's the same in this, the truth of it is that we're living in a beautiful world and we have to reignite into the source of that, which is the love that we have for one another and the love we have for the environment and how it supports us. I think a part of the underscore of this particular story is the fact that people, uh, children particularly watch inappropriate things online and mm. It's certainly true to say that the more we are live in a digital world, the more we need nature. And I was very confident. Yeah, and I think the majority of parents will agree with you on that and will say, you know, we're doing our best to try to reduce screen time. And that's where I think your books kick in, because your books give parents the knowledge and the tips and, and I mean, a lot of them are, are simple suggestions, but things that God, I would never have thought of that sort of ideas. Yeah, and I think even even something as simple as taking a cup of tea outside with your family when they come home from school, a little rigid like that, to you know, to live in the present moment, simple things that don't cost anything. Actually, most of my books, I was very conscious of that. They cost very little, but they do take, and not a lot of time. But even when they come home today now, say, look, we're going to have hot chocolate outside. Just a little treat. Mm. You know, we're going to spend some quality time in the fresh air. And even tonight, there's an amazing moon to take children outside to, see to the look moon. at that. Yeah. They will always yeah. remember that. And then then my, I suppose my expertise coming, comes in then when you can provide learning opportunities there. Because I know parents are quite anxious about... Um, how they can support their children in learning. And very many children aren't doing wonderfully in school. And the pandemic has been very hard for their learning. But I And I think here again, nature is a wonderful teacher. And the opportunities outside, like, for example, with the moon, that you can observe that over the stages of the moon and learn all sorts of language around that. I defy any child, no matter how switched off they are about reading or maths or anything, not to be intrigued by that. 
and maths particularly, another bugbear with others. There's all sorts of wonderful uh, play learning activities you can do with your children with sticks and stones that they'll remember and that they'll associate positive things with. Because, you know, struggling through learning is hard for most people. You have to stick at it. And, you know, being motivated to remember a special time with your parents when you measured sticks and stones might associate good things with maths rather than having to slog through learning tables or, or algebra or the things we, we all struggle with. But I think that's, that's a wonderful way to begin a learning journey. And, of course, linked to all of nature and all of literature are wonderful stories that you can get in every local library apart from these books. And I've included suggestions for that in, in the book. Um, or indeed, you can follow me on Instagram as well. Um, you know, all, all sorts of easy things that you can link a sense of love of the environment around you, whether you live in a little apartment or in a big uh, house with a huge garden. It's there for you in the sky, you know, in the air, the birds, a little bird feeder out, out your back window can bring so much to your uh, imagination, you know, and uh, there's so much to learn out there. And it the doesn't world. have to cost a lot. In some cases, it can cost absolutely nothing, just your time. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. And, and a kind of a switch away from the screens just to say, you know, um, we've we've spoken before, Patricia, how just getting outside can change the energy. Now, I don't go along with with the thing. There is no such thing as bad weather. Yeah, I was. Uh, go- I, I was that going. That's a hard one. That's the one I was going to get to. The argument that the weather doesn't always lend itself to going outside. Yeah, well, that is true. And you know, we're not talking about uh, being outside for eight hours a day. But the good clothing does help, and I know. Aldi and Lidl now have all sorts of offers on really good um, outerwear. Puddle Ducks is another one. The, 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 the insulated ones are great. And parents have to be well wrapped up as well. And there's all sorts of dry robes and wet robes now as well. And actually, I was talking to an early years educator who's outside a lot. And she said, well, we're cold a lot. And I, I contacted some of my friends in Scotland um, who work outdoors. They have a very committed curriculum there in the early years to being outdoors a lot and they use the rigs they use on the oil rigs <laughs> but but one of the other the other tips and uh, again it would be something uh, that I've spoken about before the other tip with that is to take breaks and you know bring your flask of tea yeah. make it comfortable for you as well you know a little flask outside that's what's got me through the pandemic my husband and I go for a walk and we take a flask of tea and it's changed our walk you know, we stop halfway and it's such a comfort. And I think if we make that part, we're so lucky in Ireland and particularly in Cork to have such beautiful places, public places to walk that, you know, I think we have to reclaim them and make them make them ours all through the year, no matter what the weather is. And, you know, Patricia, some of the happiest visions of my preschool and of every primary school I've ever gone into with puddles is kids jumping through those puddles there's no nothing, matter what there, clothes yeah, they have on them. It does, there is absolutely nothing like it and how many parents will say that if there's only one puddle my yeah, young fellow yeah. find it. You can and, be guaranteed. I remember there's lots of things you can learn in puddles like you, how, how many stones you can put in it. Yeah. You can do all sorts of activities and learning around that as well. You can look at faces, you can do mirror activities 
And, you know, it, I, I really do believe, and all the research backs up the fact that the more you tune in to the beauty of nature, the more healthy you are uh, physically and mentally and, and, and absolutely every way. And I think that we have to get away from this catastrophic thinking to tune in children to the beauty of nature. And in Cork, that's around us every single place we look. Yeah, well you know, said. And well I think said. it's just a, a different well consciousness said. about they're, it, you know. They're, they're gorgeous, and gorgeous and they're gorgeous quality. I love the quality of the books. Yeah, it's, I mean, Orla Kelly helped me design them and they're brilliant. They're, you know, she did a fantastic work and um, they're available on buythebook.ie but also on all the lovely independent bookstores in Bandon and towns around Cork who've been so supportive and who do such wonderful work. And in those bookstores, and it's available in your library as well, even, uh, you know, if you aren't in a position to buy it. But And in that library, you will find that that's the other thing that's important. I think storytelling is so important. And when you look at stories, um, you know, so much of it, so much of the inspiration for literature is based in in nature. You know, if you think of all the beautiful uh, children's storybooks like Owl Babies, The Giving Tree, even The Gruffalo, and I know parents out there will be will know what I'm talking about yeah. when I'm saying these. All of those, I'm going on a bear hunt, The Hungry Caterpillar, The Whale and the Snail, um, you know, all of those linked to nature. And I think it's about consciously making that connection if you're talking about um, The Hungry Caterpillar, of you know, connecting that to your own garden. There's a wonderful writer, Florence Williams, she writes about nature and she does lovely little podcasts. But she talks, she says, you know, sometimes with us adults, we feel we have to go somewhere to be in nature. But the children find it in every pavement. You know, they'll, they'll led, run and they'll find the spider the, in the corner. Yeah, be led by the children. And reaction, uh, Gillian, what reaction have you been getting to the books? Very, you, very you've now nice, done yeah. e- You've now done every, every season. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And uh, I think people are seeing it a cycle. And there's, of course, it's a happy coincidence that, you know, early year settings and primary schools are mainly outside. So that's the next thing now to get even get people even more aware of how they can teach outside and experience learning outside and how how rich that makes that for people. So I think definitely if your child is struggling in school, this is a great place to start, you know. And you'll all, but, as you say, you'll all, everyone in the family will benefit from getting outside. Absolutely. And I, I leave you with... Um, Florence Williams, when she summarizes it, she says, you know, children teach you to microdose on moments of awe. And I think after all we've been through in the pandemic, in tragedies here locally and um, in Offaly today, I think microdosing on moments of awe wouldn't go astray with any of us. But it will certainly help your children to grow and learn and develop and hopefully make a lovely, happy family connection for, for them uh, you know that they can pa- in turn pass on to their children okay. along the way well said good luck with the books uh, Gillian thank pleasure you as always thank you for that and thanks thank uh, for, for joining us bye bye that bye. is uh, Gillian Powell Bandon uh, based early, ed- early years educator and has been for many many years the books are called Thrive and there's one for each season so there's a spring summer an autumn and a winter and their outdoor nature activities for children and families and they're absolutely 
terrific we wish Gillian well with them on trying for all of us to get outdoors and if we've got smallies to bring the smallies outside and let them experience uh, nature listeners this morning Patricia going for walks absolutely lovely but I'm often stuck for a toilet major problem in beautiful Ireland is the lack of public toilet facilities especially for women and uh, families and that can be a huge huge uh, issue and if you've got small ones who need to use the loo it can be a it can it can be you need to you're planning where you need to go so that's the always the question isn't it and always the the action that's done before you head out of the house has everyone been to the toilet and inevitably you just go outside the door and somebody will need to go thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 okay we're going to take a break we have news at 12 midday uh, on the way uh, that's coming up after these Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A couple of people who have been who have been watching and are watching the funeral of Ashleen Murphy online are, are commenting. There seemed to be a lovely moment at the start of it when the family, when the coffin arrived into the church and the family arrived into the church with our president, Michael DeHiggins, and his wife, Sabina walked over to sympathise uh, with the family and Mary says well thank God for our president and his lovely wife Sabina uh, I'm so glad to be Irish uh, for the first day since last Wednesday since we heard about this murder his time and hugs with the Murphy family and Ryan Ashley's boyfriend will stay with me forever such an outpouring of love from such a small gentleman and the lady that is his wife it's worth watching again and again thanks to Michael D and to Sabina for melting the iceberg says Mary that's been with me since Wednesday and a lot of people will say that a lot of people have been so affected by this uh, particular death it's just it's incredible and maybe maybe the tide is is turning and maybe it will be the start of an end to gender-based uh, violence. Okay, on, on gender-based violence, John says, also watching the funeral of Ashley Murphy and hopefully now with government leaders at the funeral. I know the Taoiseach is there and I'm sure it's all spotted. Um, Helen McAtee, the Minister for Justice, is there as well. Anyway, uh, John is saying with the amount of government leaders at the funeral this morning, hopefully they'll do something to short, uh, sort out our justice uh, system. Uh, those who create domestic violence rather when they're out on bail after a court hearing, that needs to stop. Don also says when somebody gets sentenced to life, life needs to mean life. Normally what happens in this country, they can be out after 13 or 14 years because they'll be out on good behaviour. So that is not a life sentence. John feels our justice system needs to get tougher as those that break the law. They are the very ones who continue to break the law so they know the law inside and uh, out. And if they go to jail, they know they won't be convicted for very long while the order Public also knows the laws are not strong enough to protect them, so the justice system needs to do something about it. Uh, Una in Ovens is on with a suggestion when we're talking about the death of Ashley Murphy and the whole 
topic that's come up about gender-based uh, violence. Una says, could they do something before matches, big games, like they've done in the past to highlight racism? Has anybody ever spoke out about violence against women in front of a crowd, say, attending a GAA match, a soccer match or a rugby game? It may make a difference. It just might. It just might. And it kind of ties in with what we were talking about with the bystander intervention. You know, call it out in a setting like that. That's not all men at it, but it's in many of those matches, predominantly there will be males in the audience. So, yeah, it's a really good suggestion and idea, Una, and I haven't heard of it being mentioned before. Thank you for your uh, thoughts. Also, hi, uh, this is Michael. Patricia, as you are aware, there are a lot of sick fellows in this country who don't even have respect for themselves, not alone for women. All my life I've seen women being downgraded and it's still rife in today's world, especially here in Ireland. Thinking back, says Michael, remember the late Albert Reynolds castigating Nora Owen with his comment, well, that's women for you. And with laughter, as the reply came from the chamber, remember when she was Minister for Justice, John O'Donoghue made her life a misery, all because she was a woman. There isn't a bad bone in Nora Owen's body, says uh, Michael. There are many, many examples in public life where I could highlight women being humiliated. Today, though, they're dealing with the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, that they will not be able to bully every good luck to her. And the amount of people that are saying, you know, we can be very thankful that we have somebody as strong as Helen McEntee. And maybe she will. Maybe she will be the one that will be able to make change. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. And uh, stay safe to 0862103103 and has contacted us from Ballin Temple to say shout out please anybody else in the Ballin Temple area having problems with Sky TV and broadband our poor Anne is now I don't know if you've made contact directly with Sky because sometimes what can happen is it can just be a problem into your home but let's give a shout out to see is anybody else in the Ballin Temple area having problems with Sky TV and our broadband if you can let us know please you can call John Paul 0818103103 and also in by oh this is reacting to the lovely interview I had with Gillian Powell in the last hour talking about getting back out into nature and getting children back out into nature a lovely text in uh, reacting to that interview saying hi Patricia just listening to Gillian Powell talking about her books I'm in my 60s now but when I was growing up we couldn't wait to get outside get muddy and dirty my mother never minded we just got cleaned up in the kitchen sink when we came back in there was no electric devices in those days we just learned about nature and mum always showed us kids books with birds and animals and other wildlife in them. I suppose we learnt about it and even now, I suppose that's how we learnt about it and even now when I go for a walk I still appreciate those good old days. It seems to be a shame that young people would rather be stuck in front of their electronic games for hours rather than getting outside, even in the snow and the rain. They're my thoughts, but thanking you uh, for reading them out. Listen, they're great thoughts and I think a lot of people will identify with that. And in a different era when you didn't have electronic games and there probably wasn't a lot of money around for children to buy expensive toys for, you know the choice. We, we made our own fun and that's what we did. We were outside all the time and you kind of, you went home 
home. You went home when you knew you were hungry, wasn't that it? And you were off out all the time. Now people, younger parents will say, we don't live in a safe society and it can be, it's not always safe to leave children out on their own, which is another issue for sure. But thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Now I've had an email in from couple of doctors based in the Woodbrook family practice in Newmarket to say that Dr. Brendan Pine and Dr. John Burke, they've extra doses of Pfizer COVID vaccine available and it expires on Friday the 21st. So that is this coming Friday. But this is happening in a lot of practices and it's happening within the HSE as well. They've got vaccines that they need to use up ASAP. So the vaccines in Newmarket are available to anyone over the age of 16 who has not had a COVID diagnosis in the last three months. You can ring Dr. John Burke on 029 60461 our book an appointment for Wednesday afternoon tomorrow afternoon you can also ring the Woodbrook family practice on 029 to book an appointment for Thursday afternoon and as with other GP practices offering the same you don't have to be registered with either of these practices in order to receive a uh, vaccine you need to have your PPS number available when you ring to make your booking for the a vaccine so please if you're due to get a vaccine or you're due to get a booster please make contact as I say in that case it's it's Dr Brendan Pine and Dr John Burke in Newmarket but please make contact with other GPs or make contact with the local pharmacy because it would be such a shame to see any of these vaccines go to, to, to waste and I'm really conscious of any vaccines going to waste when you think about the interview that we did in the last hour with Oxfam and that shocking statistic that in third world countries less than 10% of the population in third world countries are vaccinated and here in this country we're vaccinating our children and we're now giving booster vaccines that hold and that's there's nothing that we can do in this country with vaccines it's not a case that we can just parcel them up and, and send them away because we have donated vaccines but even countries donating vaccines that's only a very small amount we need the big pharma countries companies to give to the third world countries who are ready in their factories all scaled up ready to go to produce the vaccines locally but they need the recipe they need the intellectual property of the vaccines in order to be able to produce them and we're, we're stuck on this uh, this TRIPS wave, waiver and we've been talking about this TRIPS waiver for many, many months now and it's almost like the pharma company have to be bullied in to doing something about it which is truly and absolutely shocking. Uh, something really has to happen on that. 0818103103 Phone lines are open. John Paul taking the calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Close collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park in Ballinhasic continues this week from 6.30 to 7.45 this evening and again on Thursday evening and then on Saturday it's between half past two and four. Used items of clothes, shoes, bags, bedding towels, all are welcome. No duvets or pillows, uh, please. 
and there is a closed collection at Gagin Hall on Saturday the 29th of January from 10.30 to 12 noon for a drop-up of any unwanted men's clothes and children's uh, clothing. They are also accepting soft toys but again, like with all those clothes collections, they're not taking duvets or uh, pillows. And in Ascara Community Centre, continuing to need your help to keep the centre open, they're asking people to donate to cover the running costs either through their GoFundMe page, which is inascara.org, or you can drop a donation into the office letterbox. And there's details of their bank account as well, which are available on our website, www.c103.ie. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. We're talking about going outside and spending more time outside. And a listener said, she remembers that was her childhood, was all the time spent outside. Pat says, Pat says Patricia, in the good old days, we were kicked out at 9am in the morning and we were told not to come back until dinner time at 1. You were back in for your tea and then you were out again until it got dark. It was great days. Uh, kind regards. That's from uh, Pat. And a really good thought-provoking email in from Margaret with regard to the naming of the boardwalk that we spoke about earlier with uh, young Owen uh, Kenny, a trainee teacher, and his suggestion has been that it could be named after Ashley Murphy, but also, you know, the broader topic of should it be left to local people to decide what the name of the boardwalk will be. But on the topic of it being named after Ashley. Uh, Margaret says, morning Patricia, on this saddest of days in this country, I saw on Facebook and heard on your programme the proposed thought of naming the boardwalk in Mallow after Ashling. Can I just say stop and I'll explain my thoughts. We're all shocked to the core about what happened to this beautiful girl. We feel the need to do something and sometimes all we have to do is sit and just remember her, remember her family, her friends and her colleagues. We don't need to and should not insert our own feelings into this sad, sad story and deflect from the horrors of last Wednesday. We want answers and we want justice. And sometimes we want someone to blame, to ease our own inadequacies that we simply can't put things right. Bringing up the subject of naming a boardwalk after Ashling might ease our sadness and grief. I foresee a petition for this. And what will it cause? All it will cause is division and anger. How will that help any of us? Well, then we can blame those opposed to the proposal. Please just stop and think. Has anybody asked, for example, what Ashling's family would like? How would the people of Tullamore feel if they were not allowed to do their own permanent memorial to Ashling first? They are a community devastated at the moment and all they can now do is support Ashling's family. Let them do that. On the day of Ashleen's funeral, let us think of this beautiful lady. Let us think of her family, her friends, her community. Let them grieve. Let us give them the space. Or yesterday, Gorev and Anam Delish. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Go to Borbui where Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And there's nothing else we can talk about today except to try to deal with uh, grief. Um, And very conscious that Aisling's funeral is uh, coming to an end uh, quite soon and and what her family and her boyfriend Ryan are going through. It's absolutely, it's it's unbelievable. And... um, you know, uh, I I would like personally to extend condolences to um, parents, family, uh, loved ones, friends, the little people in uh, first year, uh, first class, in 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 her school. Um, it's uh, it's 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 very hard to take this in. Um, we we'll say like that. Um, a debt is always. Uh, regrettable um, but most times a debt is um, one can find some bit of reason that um, you know if there's an illness even if there's an accident like uh, a road traffic accident or something there's um, you know there's kind of um, we we know what happened but in the in the in the area of murder, it's um, it, what 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 is completely horrifying is that this is the result of the actions of another person, um, uh, that that somebody um, decided or whatever um, impulse took over to attack a young lady who was out trying to improve or whatever, her fitness, her health. You know, we're all advised a bit of jogging. Yeah, and we, as, we, as we, we subsequently found out, she was a great camogie player and they were going back yeah. after the Christmas break and sure, yeah. everybody after Christmas, you'd have all overindulged and people need to get back into training. So she was yeah. out to get her fitness level up to go back to training for yeah. her beloved camogie. Simple, yeah. simple thing in many ways. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the thing as well is that like, um, what makes it more incomprehensible again is that it seems um, that this was what they call a random act, 
um, so that um, you know when 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 investigators would be looking for um, the perpetrator of a murder, um, one of the things that they would look for uh, obviously would be motive. But it would seem that in a crazy, horrible, random act of violence, that um, that you know. Where, where, where does one find motive? Um, yeah, not that motive it's would like ever justify, but it seems to be um, just simply um, uh, animalistic, um, uh, uh, just attack, hurt, and kill. Like it, to me, she met great evil that day. And I, I hate I hate to think that there's any evil in this world, but when something we're faced with something like this, it, it's the only explanation she just unfortunately met. Yeah, great evil and that I day. I suppose, like Patricia, we have to look at society and education. Um, uh, we're reading and and hearing a little bit too much in the world now of violence. Um, we are hearing about, uh, I think I heard recently of, I don't know, was at London, I'm not sure, um, a 15-year-old um, who um, killed um, uh, another child. Uh, we hear about the thing in Dublin where um, young people attacked another young person, a girl, and that she may lose the sight of her eye. And one wonders, like... Where is all this anger and this horribleness uh, coming from? One would think, um, is it because of viewing pornography? Is it because of the violence depicted in, in, in some uh, films, for example? I, I don't know the answer, but I do know that um, there seems to be senseless, awful violence in the world, and that... Um, uh, one would have to go way back into early life to maybe engender a sense of respect for other people. And I think that would be the big word um, uh, needed to be emphasized would be respect. Um, that, uh, you know, we hear about racism, um, uh, we hear about, as I say, violence, and that at a very early stage, that young people, boys and girls, um, would uh, would learn that respect for other people should be a fundamental part of their um, of their beliefs. And that starts in the home, you know, because the other way some people blame schools, and schools can teach you know as much a level of respect as they possibly can, but a lot of that starts at the home. You know, I had I had a woman the other day when when this story first broke, and we were talking about you know how parents, particularly when we're talking about gender based violence, how mm. parents need to need to speak to their to their sons about having a respect level 
for for girls of what, whatever age and obviously the same goes for t- talking to, to girls uh, to have respect for boys but it's well, when, when it's gender based violence we're talking in predominantly it's female males to to females and we were saying that you know when you're raised in a family you know children who grow up learning respect will carry that through you would like to think into their adult lives and one woman contacted us and said 100% agree with you but she said she had lived in in a very toxic relationship with her, her husband who constantly constantly put her down and you know was always belittling her now she said she finally got out of that relationship but she said it, unfortunately it was too late for her son because he had learned from his father that that's the way his mother was treated and she said now as a 20 year old she can see it in her own son which I thought was really really sad but it yeah. goes back to families and the yeah. way we raise our children There's a word um, introjection um, now introjection is sort of swallowing hook line and sinker when we're little kids um, the values um, of our role models um, uh, our, our, our carers our you, Usually, our parents, and um, and we interject uh, these uh, beliefs, and um, you know, if what we've learned is that um, that uh, a, a kind of a, uh, women as uh, objects, um, we the, that message would come across big time in pornography. But I mean. If in a casual even way, or as you described there, in a in a totally non-acceptable way, that um, uh, in in one's home, um, the way that the mother was treated there, um, uh, we need to kind of uh, have that highlighted as being inappropriate, and um, and and it needs to be um, called out uh, when it happens, um, e- even in. Uh, casual uh, chat um, uh, you know um, what can seem like innocent uh, kind of remarks but which are uh, kind of uh, putting women down or putting women, putting girls in a, in a certain sort of uh, uh, box um, uh, well, I don't know if you were listening earlier, but I had Professor Louise uh, Crowley from UCC, from the Law Department, and she she's the director of this bystander intervention program that they've been running in, in UCC since, I think she said 20, 2019, and she said a huge uptake after Ashley's death this week yeah. of people. We need to, when you see something is wrong... You need to call it out, right. and this isn't this isn't to do with man bashing. And I know we I'd, I I had a bit of a rant at the start of the program because we had some really horrible, nasty texts in yesterday from men, you know, making out that it was all man bashing that was going on, and it isn't. I mean, we, we've always said this isn't all men, but unfortunately, when a woman gets murdered, it is by a man. That's what yeah. that's the yeah. statistics in this country. Yeah. Yeah, and I personally have never read of a case where a woman attacked a man either on the side of the Grand Canal or or, or the side of the Thames or... Or, or down New a laneway at night, yeah. Or yeah. anywhere, yeah. Um, anywhere at all. OK, so um, when, we, yeah. when, when we talk about the, the, the grief this week and this national outpouring of, of grief, you know, I've, I've, I've cried tears for a girl I don't even know. Yeah. And, and I've spoken to more people who've said the same thing. 
where does that come from and what is that grief? I suppose it comes from shock, number one. And one of the very valid um, uh, parts of um, bereavement, we, we have our denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance um, as the, the usual process of grief. Well, now, the anger part would be very high um, in people's feelings about this. I mean, that some horrible, depraved person uh, could do this to someone who was an asset to our country, an asset to society, someone who had all the kind of attributes that one would hope that um, a daughter would have. And to think that uh, she is, you know, going out for a run, for God's sake. and um, In the middle uh, of the day, you know, in broad daylight. In broad daylight, and, 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 and that she never comes home. Um, it's just uh, unbelievable. And I think it, um, it touches something very, very deep within us. Um, the absolute horror of it and the absolute um, uh, sense of uh, disbelief that such a thing could happen. And as you say, um, the middle of the day, in a public place, and other people around as well, um, it's, it, seems, um, uh, it, it seems unbelievable. Um, and then you see, you have all the... The things, uh, if one is grieving after a loved one, after an illness or even after um, uh, um, uh, an accident or or something like that. But in this case, um, you know, you have um, uh, you have the the legal aspect, the inquest, there's going to be a trial, hopefully, um, and all of these things are uh, in, included um, the legal process, the, the inquest, the, 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 the trial. So the complexities of the loss after a murder are, um, uh, are complex and, uh, and make the whole process of bereavement, um, uh, you know, how to how to deal with at all, at all, um, because the whole event is unbelievable. It's unexpected, yeah, it's the, tragic, and it's a crime and all it was at once. All, I mean, there were so many uh, vigils. I mean, I don't remember any other death yeah. uh, um, uh, causing this kind of outpouring of support for the family. And, uh, and I did hear from a, cl- a close friend of the families that they've taken huge comfort from that outpouring of I can well respect, imagine. which which is which is lovely. Yes, that the uh, the the outpouring of uh, grief, love, and solidarity that it will bring some comfort uh, to the family. Indeed, because they have a long, long road uh, ahead of them. And Absolutely. in the meantime, as a society, we must learn to respect each other. We must indeed. I mean, uh, I, I remember reading um, not too terribly long ago that um, the, the percentage, I think it was very high. I think it was maybe one in four um, uh, women, girls in university um, 
uh, had encountered um, uh, sexual intimidation or, uh, you know, wrongdoing. Or, or even assault. Many, many never speak out about it. Never, many never do anything about it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So that guys need to learn that, um, that these old smart remarks uh, in pubs and things and um, uh, uh, actions which are kind of uh, meant to be in inverted commas like um, uh, funny, acceptable, that they're not. They are simply not acceptable. Um, that message will have to go out. We hear an awful lot these days about the word consent and... Um, uh, we, Maybe some little uh, grain of uh, goodness uh, can come um, from uh, Ashling's death in that um, uh, that society, uh, especially yeah, young men, uh, would become aware um, that uh, of what is and what isn't appropriate. And I think the other one, when I had my rant earlier on this morning, when I was talking about some of the, the men who were texting in yesterday, men don't need to feel threatened by society talking about gender-based violence. No, so, I you know, some so. men seem to think it's, oh, it's man bashing and, oh, you're picking on men again. And, you know, I wonder it's, it, if people are uncomfortable about Ash, if men are uncomfortable about society talking about this, do they need to reflect themselves? Well, there is that. We all need to reflect. I mean, um, there'd be uh, very few uh, men who wouldn't have passed on um, an unacceptable, we'll say, a joke in their time um, when we were back a little bit in the dark ages when it comes to, um, you know, uh, sensitivities around gender. Um, uh, I, I, I even, uh, uh, man, I have a great lot of respect for. I saw a heading there somewhere this morning. Um, Fergus Finley, I think, said that um, often that there would have been, you know, maybe an inappropriate uh, remark or joke, and that he he felt that he should have, but didn't call it out. Well, I think we'd all have to put all us guys. We'd have to put our hands up about that. That there were times that. Um, you know, we allowed the thing to just uh, slide by, pass by, um, carry on, um, uh, um, ignore the fact that something that was said um, was really wrong and, and inappropriate. That we didn't call it out. Yeah, and that's what that bystander intervention at UCC is all about. It's it's about calling it out and you can do it without putting yourself at risk or without it being aggressive was the point yeah. that uh, Professor Louise Crowley was making. Okay. Yeah. As a always, simple remark, Patricia, like I'd be a bit uncomfortable with that now. Yeah, yeah. It can uh, be done. You know, it needn't be, it needn't be aggressive. It can be just expressing a discomfort with certain ways that things might be said. Okay. All right, uh, Joe, listen, thank you for that and uh, have a good week and we'll chat to you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Thanks for Got joining it. us, uh, Joe Heffernan. He runs a counselling practice in Boerboy. His number is 86 And Tom in McCroom has been on to say that a woman's wedding ring was found at the Dunstores car park in McCroom. Tom said that they found the wedding ring last Friday at about 11am in the morning. Did you lose a wedding ring? in the McCroom 
car park of Dunn stores or did you hear of somebody who lost a wedding ring and we have Tom's details because Tom would really like to get it back to its rightful owner that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richard for the afternoon and I'm back with you tomorrow at 10 to the Lampshire Messenger very good Court afternoon today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.